that, take your Bible, go to Matthew 18, stand to your feet, and we're going to talk about this breaking bread business. And today I want to talk about the challenge, the relationship challenge. And I'm going to read a passage that may be among the very least heated instructions of Jesus. Maybe some of the very most disobeyed instructions that Jesus gives. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, If your brother or sister sins, and some versions say sins against you, this, the NIV says sins, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two witnesses along with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, this is an interesting passage, perhaps, to begin the series on relationships with, but I think I would argue that the common denominator of every relationship, and we are going to hit relationships in this series, husbands and wives and parents and children and friends and coworkers and neighbors and enemies and people that have power and people that have none, one of the common denominators is that if there are people, there will be struggles. There will be a relationship challenge. And so today we're going to pray that God's going to speak to us. God help in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Let me tell you about a man that I was reading about this week. Washington man was uh, driving and his car got stuck in in snow. Now, we don't have that problem in Florida, but his car got stuck in several inches, probably like six or eight inches of snow. It could not get out. And the sheriff is the one that actually reported it because the man got, he was getting angry when his car would not move. He got, was getting angry and angry, more and more and more angry as every minute passed by. And he finally went to his trunk. He pulled out like the, the, the tire, you know, like the, the deal that puts on the tire, this, this piece of metal, this clunk of metal. And he was so angry with his car, he took this, this, this deal and began to smash la ventanas. He started to, to smash the window, smash the front window, the side windows, every single window, he smashed it. He continued to be angry at that moment, and he had a gun with him. He pulled out his gun, and he went and he shot all of his tires, so all the tires were done. He emptied out his, his pistol, pulled out another clip, put it in there, and he began to shoot the car all over the, just literally shot the, he was so irate and angry that he shot the car. The sheriff showed up on the scene. He called it a case of autocide. He said the car was completely, he killed it, he said. We've called it a case of autocide. Now, anger is a real thing, and it's bad when you're angry at your car, but when anger really is troubling, when hurt, when offense, when Someone gets irate when it's really destructive is when it's with people. It's, it's with people that we have our challenges. The tragedy when it comes to breaking bread and when it comes to relationships, the tragedy is that relationships that could have made it don't. Now, I wanna, I'm going to say some disclaimers because I want to make sure you hear me very carefully. I don't want somebody mistaking what I'm saying. There are people that need to be cut out of your life. There are people that need to be 
you need to have boundaries that they are not welcome back in. One of the things I prayed this morning, I have said, God, I do not want abusers to be vindicated in their abuse today. I want to be very clear about this at the very front end before I even jump in because everything I'm saying today, this may no abuser, may no aggressor, may no toxic person feel empowered by anything that Jesus teaches. Okay, I want to make that really clear. But I do need to make us understand that there are relationships that could have made it that don't. Marriages that could have made it that don't. Friendships that could have stayed together that don't. Microchurches that could have thrived but don't. Coworkers that could have worked together but don't. Businesses that could have thrived but don't. My burden today is that people that could have been breaking bread for years don't. And it's a tragedy. The whole sermon today is in really setting up this series, which is simply this. Your life is only as good as your relationships. And relationships require skills. Your life is only as good as your relationships, and relationships require skills. I've been, I'm very indebted to Jim Wilder and other people in, in his circles that, that try to blend together the teachings of Scripture with brain science, neuroscience. One of the things that they say is that the human brain is a magnificent three-pound work of art that directs everything we say, think, and it dictates the decisions we make and the relationships that we have. When properly trained, this is the qualifier, when properly trained, your brain is a God-given instrument of connection. Everyone say connection. Say connection over here. Someone say connection. Who wants it? All right, all the way back there. Oh, sorry. Oh, that was good. They just caught it if you're watching in Tampa. Everyone say connection. When it's, that's when it's good. But when, it is not, when your brain is not trained... And, and this, is, this is key because I think in church circles, the temptation is to say, as long as you're reading your Bible every day, it's all going to be good. Or as long as you go to church, or as long as you have a quiet time. I need you to understand, you can be hyper-spiritual, and if your brain is not trained, you'll be a relationship failure. This is why Jesus said, everyone who, when they're fully trained, they become like their teacher. And a lot of this series is going to be dealing with, with training, Consider a baby. Does a baby have a good range of social skills when he or she is born? Does she demonstrate good understanding of her mother's need for sleep? Does he control his reactions in reasonable ways? Everybody is born with a disadvantage in terms of relational skills. All of us are born wired as predators. To babies, the world and everyone in it is theirs to eat. Everything goes in their mouth. This predator wiring never goes away and it cannot be disabled. However, it is possible, it is possible to learn protector skills that can become stronger than the predator wiring. With focused effort and training in the presence of God, we can be transformed and our brains can be trained, which will impact our relationships. Your life is only as good as your relationships, and relationships require skills. One of the, we, have a, uh, we have a QR code. There's actually a book that I would recommend. It's called Transforming Fellowship, where they have identified 19 brain skills that if you were taught these as a child, and ideally, every child would be taught them. There's 19 skills. Some of them have to do with things like being able to pause and get quiet and, and synchronize stories. And there's different, there's different skills that are mentioned. 
but they've identified 19 brain skills that if you had these, and you would usually learn them by the age of three or four, ideally, the problem is none of us were raised ideally. Most of us are missing some of these key skills that are actually needed, but these are skills that if you have these skills, you are going to thrive in your relationships. If you get the QR code, it's kind of got the download. If you're in person here, we've got hard copies out in the, just, if you're just interested and you're just like, okay, what might those be? But these are some skills that can be learned. And really what I want to do even during this series, I think the church has done a good job of preaching that we need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our life. I'm going to invite you during this series to not just let Jesus be the savior of your soul. I want you to let Jesus become your teacher. In fact, can we pause right now? Tampa, wherever you're joining us right now, can we pause right now? Would you repeat after me a prayer where we would invite Jesus to be the teacher of our relationships? Would you do that? Would you say, say, dear God, we invite Jesus to be our Lord, our savior, and our teacher. Teach us your way. Train us in your way. Amen. Amen. Uh, part of what I'm going to hope to do during this series is to convince you that Jesus is not just the greatest miracle worker. Jesus is the most intelligent being in the universe. I want you to convince that Jesus, I, this, this sounds almost, I don't know, irreverent. Jesus is smart. He's smart. So even what we're going to look at today in this passage when we come to this passage where there's probably no greater challenge than handling conflict, we're, gonna, we're looking at this passage where Jesus gives us in Matthew 18, and unfortunately I come to you and I would submit to you that slander and gossip and blasting people on social media and, and taking someone that was made in the image of God and unleashing our wrath on them has not just become commonplace, we're actually surprised when people don't. We actually tell people things like, I just had to get that off my, my chest. I, I, just, I just had to, I had to, I had to say, I was thinking it, and yet we're going to read where Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out your fault just between the two of you. And he gives us this process where the, the, the first step is he, he takes them and he says, it's, it's one-on-one. If that doesn't work, he says you bump it up, and then you get two or three on the one. And then if that doesn't work, he says then you bring the church into it. And, and there's, this, there's this process. Now, I, I, I want to get super clear. Like, we had a meeting with our staff recently. There's been all sorts of churches doing crazy things. And, and I got to tell you, there is a need for whistleblowing. Like, like, when people say, oh, watch out for whistleblowing. There is a need for Beware of an organization that's not cool with whistleblowers, okay? There needs to be whistleblowing going on in the world that we live in. What Jesus tells us is there's a right way to blow the whistle, the issue is not whistleblowing. The issue is not lack of accountability. The issue is even those that are trying to provide accountability need accountability. And those that are in positions of power or not need Jesus' method. I'm asking us, would we consider something is up with the world where when Jesus gives us instructions, and, and I'm just going to say right here, I probably know less than 10 people. I probably know less than 10 Christians that I have watched do this more than they don't this passage right here, and I'm gonna ask us to let Jesus be the Lord, Savior, and teacher of our relationships because he probably knows more than any of us do. So how do we do this? Starts with this. The first thing we do when we see this is if your brother or sister sins or sins against you, the first step is you've gotta admit there's a problem. 
Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, I would just say when. Everybody say cuando. When your brother, if your brother or sister sins, si tu hermano peca contra ti, if your brother sins against you, it's a, the first thing is you have to admit there's a problem. I'm not going to belabor this point. I'm just going to tell you, if two or more are gathered, there will be issues. Can I get an amen? God's heart, though, which I am not detecting in our culture at all, God's heart is peace. And again, I want to get clear. I'm not talking about peace with Adolf Hitler. I'm not talking about peace with an abuser. I'm not talking about peace with someone that's wicked. But we got to be careful because I'm watching us put everybody in the category of Adolf Hitler right now. Like, someone cut you off in traffic, that's Hitler. It's like, no, it wasn't. That was, that was a soccer mom rushing to take her soccer kid to soccer practice where she's going to go scream at the referee the way you just screamed at her. That's what's going on, Okay. So the first step is, is recognize, you've got to admit that there is a problem, but God's heart, before we jump into this too far, God's heart is restoration. God's heart is reconciliation. God's heart is peace. God's heart is redemption. God's heart is that God's people come together and they break, that's God's heart. And I just got to be honest, I am not seeing that much at all. To the contrary, I'm seeing a social media enterprise that has incentivized people via followers and profit margins on people's social media channels to do the opposite of making peace. Because right now, if you make peace, you will make no profit. But if you break peace, you'll make great profits. We have incentivized peace breakers when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. First step is you have to admit there's a problem. Second step, you got to go. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go. Everybody say go. If your brother or sister sins, he says, go. Now, I gotta be honest, when someone sinned against me, this is my temptation, this is my tendency. They should come, say it. When my wife sins against me, I sit around waiting for my wife to come to me. And I wait. And I wait, and I wait, because in case you haven't figured this out yet, when people sin against you, sometimes they don't know they sin against you. <laughs> well, but, but they should know. No, I get it. They should, many, many, many times, they should. And notice, Jesus didn't say, if you imagine in your mind an imaginary sin. No, he's actually saying, someone did you wrong. They are wrong and you need to go. At least that's what Jesus said. Now, again, we're, you, you could say, well, I, I don't think anything will happen if, if I go to them one-on-one. -on -one. I don't think anything's gonna happen. Oh, there's another step after this. I've gone to them before, nothing happened. Well, I've had a lot of people say I did number one. I've had a lot of people never in their life do number two or even dream of number three. Jesus, all I'm asking you to consider is that he might be smarter than you or the culture you grew up in, or the social media culture that you are breathing its air right now. He says, go, you gotta go. You, you could say, well, I don't wanna go. That, that my, my, my husband hurt me, my friend hurt me. They should come to me. I was, th this week, I read the story of a, of a man that was driving and someone cuts him off in traffic and, and he started having road rage and he's yelling at her and she's yelling and, and, they're, and they're going back and forth. The man got so angry, he pulled out a gun, and be, a semi-automatic gun, began to shoot the driver next to him, ultimately killed them. 
It was a 16-year-old girl. The cops took him and arrested him when they asked him, what in the world just happened? This was the grown man in his 50s answer to that situation. He said, well, she started it. She started it. He says, you, you, you've got to go. See, I would rather avoid, I would rather sulk, and, and there, there's, there's something about that. I, I, what I need you to understand is that when God gives, makes you angry, anger is not a bad thing. Anger is a gift from God. Your emotions are a gift from the Lord. We, we are not to suppress our emotions. Like there's, there's nothing virtuous about saying, man, I'm not angry. No, when you're angry, you're angry. Anger is, is like a smoke detector. You need one in your house, and you need them to go off when something's wrong. You don't, you don't suppress. A lot of us are like taking out the batteries of our anger drive. Like, that'll do it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take, take out the batteries so my anger detector's never going to go off. Anger's like a fire detector in the sense that when you don't want it going off all the time, of course, and it's, it's better to have no smoke happening. But when smoke is happening, you need that sucker going off because it lets you know something is up and you need to go do something on this. It, it, lets, it makes you motivated to do something about what took place. Now, you may say, yeah, but I should be more mature than this. Fair enough, but all of us are coming with different places and uh, spaces of brokenness in our hearts, and there's something, whether it's in a marriage or in a, any, whatever that relationship is, if there's going to be genuine breaking of bread, if there's going to be genuine ability to connect, there's going to have to be when things go bad and south that you are, ideally, they would always be coming to you because your spouse, your friend, your coworker, your, your roommate, your partner, whatever, is going to, oh my gosh, I just discerned the look I gave you annoyed you. I am so sorry. But if they don't have perfect discernment like the Holy Spirit, the angels of heaven, and you, then they might need you to go to them. Everyone say go. After you've gone, it says then you point out their fault. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Now, part of what is important on this is sometimes I've noticed that I, like I'm angry but I don't really know why I'm angry, and I, and, and I have often noticed people, you know, I, I will, will tend to, like, in my mind, I'm kind of stuck there. Anger is not usually, like, a primary emotion. It's often a, a, a secondary emotion, like there's something else going on, like, like it could be that you're hurt. And so, so the anger is the, is the emotion you're feeling. It's the one that's really visible, but down at the bottom, the issue could be hurt, or it could be frustration, or it could be fear. Uh, I, I get really fascinated by the history of Toyota, the company Toyota, because they, they did what they called the five whys. They, they would ask the why question five times. Hey, we're having this problem. Well, why are we having that problem? Well, it's because this thing over here. Well, why is this thing over here happening? They would ask the why question five times. Well, why? Well, man, I'm just so angry right now. Well, well why are you angry? Well, because, because I didn't, they didn't even say anything before they left the house. Okay, well, why did it get you so mad when they didn't say anything before they left? Well, because now, because I'm sitting here and I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to do all the cleaning up before the guests come over. Okay, well, so why is that getting you so frustrated? The why question gets you down. It especially gets you down to the bottom of this. I'm watching social media right now where I see people on, so, th th here's like the classic line on social media right now from an anonymous account or from just people that wanna throw stuff. They'll just say, here it is, quote, ready? Do better. Who's heard that? Do better. Joe Blow. Do better, Joe Blow. Do better. So, so here'd be my, my question. When you're frustrated, angry, hurt, whatever that is, what is the 
sin or fault that the other person should repent of. In Luke 17, Jesus gives the example. He says, hey, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point it out. And if they repent, you've won them over. But if they don't repent, you know, like then he's giving you this idea. But the, so the idea is, what is it? What is the fault? What is the sin? He says, point out. Go to them and point out their fault. Often there's hurt or rejection or frustration. There's a lot of these things that are going on. Sometimes they require prayer. Like sometimes you won't know what's going on. Talking to someone this week and they were describing they were in a conversation with someone. It was about uh, just like some current events happening and, and one person gave their opinion, they gave their opinion and they felt like they were sort of being invalidated and they were getting really angry and frustrated. They pulled back, they sat back, they sort of regulated. These are one of those skills that you can do. They, they got quiet for a minute. They even started praying and they realized the other person didn't actually sin against me. There was not a sin, there was not a fault, there was another opinion and they could have just gotten frustrated and angry like many of us do many times, but they went ahead and they calmed themselves down. Just to be clear, there are times when you're, you're in the situation, you're like, okay, wait a minute, I'm feeling something, do I need to go to this person? And you might be like, maybe I do. Sometimes you and God can work something out, right? Like someone's got a different opinion than you, you're angry about their opinion of who should have won the national championship or who's gonna win the NBA or something like that. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so angry at them. But in reality, sometimes you just shut it down and you're like, you know what, it's not even worth me approaching them because there's not actually a sin to bring to their attention that they could actually repent of. Sometimes you'll back off and you'll be like, okay, well, I, I, there's nothing to point out. But, but this is that next step. So you admit there's a problem, you go to them, you point out their fault. The next step, and here's maybe the least obeyed part of the scripture when Jesus says, just between the two of you. Can we say that together? One more time, because I'm telling you, you do not know 95% of the people that you, they don't do this. Just between the two of you. Now, some of you might say, well, that won't work. No, no, I get it. Jesus acknowledged that might not work, which is why he gave you step two and three and four. Like, that might not work. There are other places to go. But until you've done this, you are not supposed to go anywhere else. Now, again, I want to get super clear. I am not talking about an abused child. Get an abused child out of an abusive situation. I'm not talking about a battered wife. Get the authorities involved. Get out of that house. Get out of abusive situations. I'm in favor of all that. I'm saying the 99% of your life, when you are frustrated with somebody, this 99% of what I see on social media right now, where I watch people vent on social media, He's, Jesus says, when you do it, when you're frustrated, angry, when someone sinned against you, if sin is involved, there's a fault that's there, just between the two of you. Now, I want to get real clear. When I'm angry at you, the last person I want to talk to is you. I want to go talk to my homies. I want to call my friend. I want to go process with somebody on the side. Now, what I want to show you is the genius of Jesus, because the great myth, I, this week I read probably five different studies on this. The great myth is that venting is going to somehow help you. But this is what longitudinal studies have shown. It's interesting. Venting doesn't actually reduce your anger, it rehearses your anger. It does not reduce your offense, it rehearses your offense. Letting anger fly is not just ineffective, it actually creates more 
anger, at least this is what the evidence is. The Gottman Institute said, when we remember offense, each time we recall it, we edit our memory more in our favor. People say, I just gotta get this off my chest. It's so interesting that we say about anger or offense or hurt, I gotta get this off my chest. You never hear people say things like, oh my gosh, you just have so much joy. You gotta get all that joy off your chest. Man, you, you, man, you're gonna explode if you're not careful here. Oh my gosh, you better go tell people how fortunate you are. You better tell people how excited you are. You're graduating school. Get that off your chest. Because you Get it off your chest in front of me because I got a feeling this is gonna mess something up if you don't. You never hear somebody say, oh my gosh, look at all that gratitude you have. You better get that gratitude off your chest because at some point you're gonna look back on your life and see how much good your parents did for you and all your friends did for you. Man, that's just gonna explode. All that goodness that's happened to you, man, you better get that off your... Why is it that anger is the emotion that we feel like, I need to get this off my chest? By the way, the studies show that venting and getting the anger off your chest not only edits your memories more in your favor when you tell someone, especially that is trying to empathize with you, and they're like, oh, girl, and they're trying, and because you want someone with you, oh, man, and you're, they're with you, you can't, they're like, well, did you? And they start asking questions that the story starts, do, do you understand, you and I have, our memories are way more fallible than we even know that they are, which is why one of the skills they talk about is like synchronizing stories. When you go to someone one-on-one -on -one and you say, man, I remember that man, you did this. And they're like, wait, 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 but, but did you know? And they start synchronizing the story. And like, yeah, did, did, did you know that the night before my grandmother had passed? They're like, oh, I didn't know that. And how many of you know like a little bit of information sometimes goes a long way in understanding where someone's coming from? which often only, only, let me say it again, only, I'll say it again, only happens when you talk to the person rather than jumping down to step two and three and four. And even then he says, I want you to go, go point just between the two of you. And then he says this, if they will not listen. Now, so now he does give it to you. If they won't listen, in other words, you bring it to them. Now watch what you've done. You have, you you have figured out what it is. You've identified what it is. What it, it's, it's actually identifiable. Like It's informed that they could actually switch from this. They could repent of this. I need you to value me more by, by calling me before you make decisions like that, running those spending decisions by me, you know, before you invite a bunch of roommates over after 11 o'clock at night when I've got finals the next day. Like, hey, we decide that. Like, there was, a, there was an actual fault that's, that's definable, that's turnable, that's repentable, that's all of that. And you've gone to them one-on-one. -on -one. You've gone to them one-on-one. -on -one. If they will not, if they don't respond... He says, now you bump it up, and you take one or two, and now watch what it is, witnesses. Not people that you told your story to, that you've now got them on your side, and you've given them your edited, fallible memories of what took place. You bring witnesses. So I was recently in a meeting with uh, John Lash, and we were playing volleyball, and we were playing volleyball with some people, and there was a ball that was, that was called um, out, and I felt the ball was in. And I said, no, the, the ball is in. They said, no, it's out. I said, no, it's in. I said, let, let, the, let the people say. And so sure enough, there were people on the court, and they said, uh, yeah, it, it was out. I said, I don't want your test. Forget you. You guys don't have. But they were on my team, so it was a little bit of a problem because, but I was clear. It was very clear to me that their eyes weren't seeing very well. But here's the point. 
here's the point. I could say, you know, I, I swear to God. I could say, cross my heart, hope to die. I could even bump it up a notch. You get a little sick and say, stick a needle in my eye. I could do something like that. Jesus says it, it, was, a, it was a Hebrew principle, which was go bring witnesses, people that have seen the same thing. Bring them, because here's what happens. When you bring the like our little dispute, we were having a little dispute, a conflict on the volleyball court. The conflict was shut down when the witnesses were brought in. Quick. It's like, hey, we, it, it was out. It wasn't in, Pastor Mike. It's like, oh, all of you are against me. <laughs> There's something happens when you go to somebody, and I have watched this. You go to someone, and they don't respond, and so you go look for a witness. Here's what happens. When you go to the witness, sometimes the witness is like, so wait, what, what is it that happened? Wait, wait, what are you frustrated about? I really think you're overreacting to this. To which a lot of times what people say is, well, you're not the, one, you're not the witness I want to talk to. Let me ask somebody else. Was that ball in or out? I think it was out as well. Well, I don't want to talk to you. I want to find somebody else. And so we go hunt down someone that says, what would you like me to say? I want you to say the ball was in. Okay, cool. The ball was in. And, if you, and you can find people that are, whether it's by the emotional pressure of it or whatever, what the witness move does is it gives accountability to, the, to all the parties involved because now Jesus is just so genius. If someone else has seen that, like, hey, man, Mike, no, it's true. That ball was out. Hey, Sally, no, it, it, it's true. This is your track record. You, this, is a, this is a flaw in your character that you've got to work on, and we're not, there's three of us now coming to you, and we love you, and, and by the way, let's, let's get clear again, Jesus' purpose is reconciliation. Social media's purpose is more social media likes. Social media purpose, especially if you go and build a YouTube channel or you create a website and, you get, and you've monetized the clicks and you're reading, you're, you're reading something and it's like, oh, click here to make a $30 donation to this channel to keep on. Whatever. So I, I get all that. What I'm talking about is the way that Jesus says to do it when he says, now when you bring somebody, bring the witness because now when some, this has been done to me, by the way. Like, I have had friends that did this to me. I had a friend at one point that came to me and and uh, kind of rebuked me and said, hey, man, you need to repent of this. I was, in co- I was in college. And I was like, oh, man, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, all right, all right. And I said, all right. And he left it there. But I didn't repent, and I kept on doing this, this area of immorality. And this was not even a sin against him. It was just a sin in general, which is, by the way, an interesting thing. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, if anyone is overtaken in a trespass, if anyone's overtaken in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. When my friend came, he says, keep watch over yourselves, lest you also be tempted. So my friend did that. I didn't really repent. My friend came back. He, was knock- he knocked on my dorm room in Sled Hall in Murphy area on UF campus, and he had somebody with him. He had a witness. He said, hey, man, I brought Mark with me. I was like, whoa, what's up, guys? They said, hey, Mike, we're, we're addressing you in the name of Jesus. I said, whoa. What, wait, what does that mean? We are here to rebuke you for a trans, like literally, they're like, we are here to rebuke you for a transgression. I'm like, whoa, whoa, let's, let, just chill. They're, no, we're going to stand. We're just standing. You need to repent. And Mike, if you don't repent, the next step is we will take this to your church. They went to a different church. We will take this to your church. We will tell your pastor. And if you don't still repent, they need to kick you out of church. I was like, I repent right now. I repent. I repent. I repent. I did. I'm serious. That never happened. This got my attention. What did not get it, and by the way, sometimes we rebuke people and, and we do it too softly. There are times when we're kind of like talking to someone and they're like, man, did you tell, man, I, I told him. 
Well, he might not know that you told him because you didn't even mention the fault. He doesn't know what the sin is. He didn't know there was something to turn from. It was, it was very ambiguous. It's hard to repent from ambiguity. But I was very clear when they told me, Mike, you are in step number two, and you're in danger of step number three, to which I said, oh, I hear you now. And God used that in a very profound way. If they don't listen, bring one or two witnesses. And then finally it says, if they still refuse to listen, treat them like a tax collector or a pagan. So, you know, one of the questions on this is how soon do you deal with, do you deal with something? You know, like your anger. Something, something happens. How soon do you go here? Well, sometimes you're so raging, you're not ready. The Bible gives us principles like don't let the sun go down on your wrath. What that means is not that you have to do it in 24 hours or less. What it does mean is that anger hurt, and bitterness are a lot like milk. They're very beneficial if you use them within the time that's allotted. But if you let milk sit out too long, what happens? It becomes sour. When your anger sits out too long, this is what the Bible describes as a root of bitterness or resentment, and it rises up and it defiles many. That means when there's bitter marriages, they defile their children. When there's bitter Roommates, they defile the other roommates. When there's bitter coworkers, they defile the whole office. When you come to somebody, you, 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 you don't have to do it in 10 hours or less, but you gotta pick the right amount of time. If they don't repent, this might be a very quick moving to number two, and if they still don't repent, you go, well, when they still don't even move to that, that's when it says you, you treat them like a tax collector. That's where there are boundaries. That's where you do say, you know what? Jesus does not say that you need to stay in a relationship with people who will not repent. Jesus does not say you gotta keep on allowing someone into your life that is bringing destruction. He does not say that. Jesus does not say that you, there are times that there are boundaries. There are times even churches have to say, you know what, I was listening to Tony Evans talk about this. Tony Evans was preaching about a woman in their church who had an issue with gossip. And someone went to her one-on-one and said, hey girl, you, you just gossip, you've got to stop gossiping. And she said, okay, yeah, and she did not. So then they had two or three people that came to her. They said, you've got to stop gossiping. She still would not stop. They finally had the entire, they ended up having to bring her before the church, and the church, and she was getting a lot of benefits from being in their church. There was a lot of um, financial, a lot of emotional benefits coming to this woman and her family from this, and the the church basically had to say, hey, guys, we are now, she is cut off. We are now going to treat her like a tax collector or a pagan. Now, tax collectors, of course, in Jesus' day, were, they, they, they were cheating people, they were swindling people, um, and pagans, of course, were just those that did not know God. Now, this, this is really saying two things. One of them is obvious, because I was reading this to someone, they said, oh, sweet, so Jesus does want us to cut people off. I'm like, well, sort of. Here's the big question. How does Jesus treat tax collectors and pagans? They're not working in the nursery. They're not working with kids. You're not letting them live with you, but you're going to love them. I'll, I'll tell you the, probably the most painful part of my life was uh, when it came to this was I, my sister. I'd begun following Jesus, and I was pushing Jesus on all my family, as you could probably imagine a new Christian does. And I remember my sister responded, and, and she started going to church, and she became like a youth leader. And I was so excited. I was in Gainesville in school, and she was in St. Pete. And we got raised by a single mom, never had very much, and my sister got very taken in by a guy that had a lot of money and a nice car, and she ends up kind of going along with him, and, and things are going in a sinful direction. I approached her, and I said, I, with, with all the zeal 
that gets mustered up from a prophet that's reading the Bible. I said, I approach, I'm telling you, you need to repent of this. Do not be unequally yoked. Do not live in sin and immorality. And I told her to repent. And it did not happen. And she still was helping in the church and doing youth ministry and all the different things. And, and so I said, well, number one didn't work. I'm going to bump this up. So I literally took a friend from Gainesville that knew her. We got in a car. We drove to St. Pete. I showed up. And, I, and this is quasi-embarrassing. And I look back. I'm like, what in the world? I showed up. The guy was there. Her boyfriend was there. I showed up. I said, I, I come and I, I officially rebuke you in the name of Jesus for the purpose of turning from your sin. Can you imagine how funny this was to him? Who's like, we say, wait, wait, what was the word you just said? Like, to your say, rebuke? Like, what does that mean? Like, I, you really drove two and a half hours to rebuke? And so we get into this, and it's going where, and it's, and it's really not getting anywhere. Her heart was getting harder and all this kind of thing. And I'm like, you need to like, go through it. And she finally said, okay, Michael, you know what? I'll tell you what, let's just make this clear. I don't follow Jesus. I'm not a Christian. Are you happy? And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I wanted. That's not what I wanted. And the rules of our relationship became, and don't talk to me about Jesus at all. Now, I have to tell you, the moment she said that, my heart flipped because I was in in absolute prophet mode. Like, I will be a prophet. And I was like, oh, my sister does not need a prophet. She needs an evangelist. I instantly started treating her not like a brother or sister that needs to be accountable. I started treating her like a pagan or a tax collector that I'm trying to win over to Jesus. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. She, she had never actually started following Jesus at all. Like, that's not even what had happened in her life. And I flipped to where I wanted her to be wooed by the love and the message and the grace and the beauty of Jesus. Now, the truth is all of us need prophets and evangelists and shepherds and everything else in our life. But I moved from, an evan- from a prophet to an evangelist and a shepherd over her life to say, how do I, I will do whatever it's gonna take to be in relationship with her. My, my goal is not to be right. My goal is for my sister to be in relationship with me and with Jesus. That was what my goal became. I'm, I'm very concerned about their culture right now because what I'm watching in culture is I'm seeing a lot more of when Jesus had gone through some Samaritan areas and his disciples said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven? Should we call down wrath? And I, and I hear Jesus turning to them and saying, did you forget what spirit you're of? I watch people on social media and they're like, let's, hey, Twitter mob, social media mob, go get them, here's their address. And I'm watching Christians do this and I'm like, have we forgotten what spirit we're of? We're not in the business of calling down fire. We're in the business of helping people escape from fire. And listen, man, I get it. There are, there are Adolf Hitlers that have got to get taken down. Absolutely. But man, your spouse, I, I don't think you probably married Adolf Hitler. Like, your, your child, the guy that cut you off in traffic, the coworker that took credit for one of your things the week after you took credit for one of someone else's things. The, he says, admit there's a problem, go. Point out their fault, name the sin, just between the two of you. If they don't listen, take a witness. And if they still refuse to listen, treat them like a tax collector or a sinner. I'll tell you who did this very well for me recently. My daughters had a, a birthday party and, and it was dragging and so I went and, and kind of took control of part of it too to help out one of my daughters over on the volleyball court and she did not like how I was doing this and she stormed off mad because she, she was really just upset that daddy was like, she had a specific thing that she wanted to do and, and I did and so she goes off and started talking to her other siblings. She told one sister 
about what daddy did and told the other sister what daddy did. She told her brother what daddy did. Well, her brother came to me, and he's a peacemaker. Like, he's literally a peacemaker. He comes to me and he says, hey, dad, I think you need to go make this right with, with I'm not going to say her name because I'd have to pay her $5 for using her in a sermon. <laughs> did I just say his name, though? Okay, good. So, I, so I'm still free. He says, Dad, go, you, need, you need to go make this right. And, and he, I was like, well, what, well, what happened? And, and I, he sort of tells me, like, okay, yeah, that's, he's like, L- listen, she, she's a kid. You're, you're a grown-up, you know? And, um, and I was like, yeah, but she started it, you know? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but what really blessed me was, it was interesting. When my son came to me, his only motive was, she, want, she can have a great party right here. And dad, I want her to have your, I, I want you to have her heart. Like his goal wasn't being right. He, he, he didn't know I was going to talk about this today. This was, you know, a couple months ago. He, he, he didn't tell them. His only motive was, I want the father's heart to be reconciled to the daughter's heart. And it was. And I didn't even know I had done it. And when he came to me, and and here's what he did. He pulled me aside one-on-one. He didn't rebuke me in front. It's so much harder to repent when you've been shamed first. It's really weird how we're exposing the fact that we're not actually looking for repentance toward heaven. We're actually looking toward wrath and shame toward hell. Evidenced by how we're doing things. Because we all know it never works shaming people. We got to go call them out. Do better. Call him out. Without going here first? Like, no, there is, there absolutely is whistle blowing. Like, there is a, blow the whistle. But it starts like this. One-on-one. Because that, that's how Father does things. His heart for you was that you were stuck in a sin. We were stuck in sin itself. He doesn't expose us publicly. He convicts us internally. And he, I mean, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you, your story is, if we all knew your junk, you would be so humiliated. But instead, what what does he do? He gives you a chance to repent. He gives you a chance to turn, to preserve your dignity because he adores you. He, He deals with you. Jesus ultimately goes up on a cross where he takes the punishment and the shame and the pain. He does all of that himself. If you're in Tampa right now, he took the shame for you. He took the sin for the wrath of God was satisfied. I was reading that in Romans 5 today that we've been saved from God's wrath through him. And what's interesting is we're in a culture right now that we are addicted to our wrath. But the wrath of humans never produces the righteousness of God. It doesn't. Which is why the wisest man who ever lived gave us the way to do it. Christine, I want to call you to come and call people to, to respond to Tampa right now. If you're joining us online, wherever you are, I want to remind you that your life is going to be as good as your relationships, but relationships require skills that I do not think we've been taught, and I'm going to invite you to allow Jesus to teach you new skills, new skills, to learn a new way. I end it like this. I love the story of the girl from Michigan, the Suburbs of Michigan living on some big field with dogs and horses and all the stuff, but her parents were awfully 
strict and they didn't like it when she got a nose ring. They didn't like it when her, when her skirts were too short and her shirts were too small. They didn't like all this. And, and, and they, there was drama, there was tension. She finally says, I hate you. And she had rehearsed it many times. She finally ran away and she made her way to Detroit where she figured her parents would never look. Second day that she was there, she met a man who drove the coolest car she'd ever seen. And he offers her rides, he gives her some lunch, gives her some pills that make her feel better than anything she's ever experienced. He puts her up in this cool hotel where she orders room service anytime she wants. She's living a good life for, for a minute there. There's re- the, the reality that her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life just keeps on going. He, he teaches her some things that men like, and, and she does that, and she kind of keeps this lifestyle up. She's in this penthouse. Every now and then she thinks about her parents, but how how simple they are, how ridiculous they seem. The scare comes for her when she sees her picture on one of those milk cartons back in the day when they'd say, this child is missing. And she now realized that there's no way they would see her. She's dyed her hair. She looks a lot different. Her, her face is kind of changing as she's being worn pretty hard over time. After about a year of doing this, though, the sickness begins to appear. And after a few weeks of this, the boss man, her her. Her guy kind of puts her out because he says, we, we can't mess around these days. And he puts her out on the street really without a penny, doesn't know where she's going to go. And she still can turn some tricks here and there, but they're not paying as much. And she's still got to support this habit that she's developed. And when winter comes, she's out on the streets. One day, she's just sitting there on, on a crate, piling up some newspapers around her to try to keep herself warm. And she hears the chilling sounds of some footsteps drawing near to her. And she's terrified. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a scared little girl. She starts to whimper. Her pockets are bare. Her stomach is empty. Her heart is racing. Her adrenaline is flowing. The legs underneath her come out and doesn't even know what she's going to do. And she just looks up at the sky. She says, God, why did I leave? God, why did I leave? Pain stabs her heart as she thinks to herself, man, my my dogs back home eat better than, than I do. She goes to a telephone booth and she makes three straight phone calls, three connections with an answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times, but on the third time she goes ahead and takes a chance and she says, Mom, Daddy, it's me. I was wondering about coming back home. I'm catching a bus that's going to go up your way, and I'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, I, I totally understand. I guess I'll just stay on the bus, and I'll just go all the way to Canada. It takes seven hours to go from Detroit to her hometown. During the ride, she realizes all the problems and the flaws in her plan. What if her parents weren't home when she left the message? What if it gets erased? What if they're on vacation? What if they're not there? What if whatever? Shouldn't she have waited another day until she, until she got on this thing? There's so many ifs and problems. They probably gave up on her a long time ago, probably wrote her off. She should have given them some more time to really respond to the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between all those worries as she sits on the bus and she's rehearsing the speech in her mind. She says, um, uh, 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 Father, Dad, I, I know I was wrong. Uh, it's not your fault. It's mine. Can you forgive me? She's, she's working all these things over and over. Her, her throat's tightening while she says the thing. She hasn't apologized to somebody in years. 
15 minutes till her hometown. There's a sign, 15 minutes to decide her life. As she's drawing near and the brakes of the bus hiss to a halt, she pulls up to the bus station. She cleans the lipstick off her teeth. In a little compact mirror, she looks down on her hands that are stained with nicotine and other things. She says, oh God. Gets off the bus, walks in. The bus driver says, you got 15 minutes and we gotta go. And none of the scenes that she could have imagined prepared her for what she saw when she walked in because in that bus station of concrete walls and the stench of people's smoke were 45 grandmothers and grandfathers and cousins and uncles, sisters and brothers and mother and father to boot with a big sign that just said, welcome home. And when she walked up to her father, she says, with her rehearsed plan, Daddy, I'm, Daddy, I'm sorry. He says, hush, child. There's no time for that. There's a party waiting for you at home. It's time to celebrate. The father's heart is reconciliation. He wants us to become the sons and daughters of God, peacemakers. Because Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker who didn't go up on a cross to bring down God's wrath. He went up on a cross to end the wrath. And if you've been living in some other way, maybe you've been an anti-peacemaker, a peace breaker, I do want you to humbly repent today. I'm hoping all of us have that conviction. But if by chance you haven't been reconciled to God, there's a celebration waiting for you. There's a Father who adores you. If you've been in sin, there's some of you that are living in secret sin. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. I'll tell you what he does. When you repent, he forgives you. You'll be in the middle of your repentance. Daddy, Abba, Father, forgive me. Hush, child. Jesus took care of that 2,000 years ago. You need to confess your sins. You need to confess Jesus as Lord. What I'm telling you is you're more adored than you can imagine. And there's some of you that have been holding off on being reconciled to God. And I don't know how to tell you to reconcile to people until you first reconcile to God. Nothing could be more opposite to the culture of this world right now than peacemakers. If you ask me, the superpower of the generation to come is peacemaking.